welcome everybody uh, to another episode of the Flashpoint Podcast. My name is Owen Higgins. I am your host, uh, as always. Um, it is Wednesday, June fifteenth, and I am uh, pleased to be joined by Ari Drennan of Media Matters and Stephen Pickett of the Western State Center, um, and we're going to be talking about uh, the. The War on Pride, uh, as I've called it, but this is kind of part of a, a, a larger issue uh, that is going on. So, um, as many of you probably already know, uh, this is Pride Month, June, and Pride events uh, across the country have been under attack uh, by forces on the right, whether they are, you know, kind of like evangelicals, um, you know, uh, Christo-fascists, Christian right-wingers. Um, or, or even more like kind of militant groups, militant hate groups, uh, groups like Patriot Front, who we'll talk about shortly, the Proud Boys and others. Uh, and so this has been, this has been going on, I think not only, uh, for the last, you know, half month, but it's been going on for quite a little while. Uh, there's been this whole idea, uh, this, this theory that there are like quote unquote groomers and that this is, you know, members of the LGBTQ plus community who are, you know, interacting uh, with children at, you know, things like, like kids drag shows. These are again, you know, uh, well, not again, but, but I, I just want to stress here, like these are not uh, harmful things at all. These are, these are very basic community events uh, that children go to where they get to meet members of the community. Uh, but this stuff is being attacked uh, by people on the right. Um, and, and we'll get we'll get into who they are, uh, but and those attacks, you know, primarily in right wing media, have led to you know these actual attacks and threats of violence. Um, and we saw last weekend, uh, the weekend of the twelfth, uh, the paramilitary uh, neo fascist group Patriot Front, thirty one members were arrested in Idaho. Uh, they were planning on attacking in some way uh, a pride event in that state uh, before the police, uh, in, in a welcome change of pace, stepped in to uh, arrest them. Uh, they were caught with, like, a number of weapons in their U-Haul. It seems pretty clear, uh, you know, looking at, at least from my perspective, uh, looking at what happened, that, that we were looking at probably a, a pretty intense level of violence uh, that was either going to be just immediately visited upon the people in the Pride March or that they were going to go there and threaten them and basically uh, create the conditions under which uh, more violence would occur. Uh, and so I brought on uh, Ari and Stephen to talk about that. Now, Stephen is an expert on Patriot Front um, and and works for uh, the Western State Center. And, and we'll, we'll talk with Stephen a, a little bit more in, in a few minutes. But uh, first, I want to start with you, Ari. Uh, you know, you, you do work on, on this topic, on these topics for Media Matters. You track right-wing media. You track how, how, they, uh, how, how, they, how they deal with these issues. Um, can you kind of walk us through a little bit how right-wing media is feeding into this hate movement and, and, and what its kind of purpose is within this larger... Um, anti-LGBTQ plus movement and, and like, like how are they driving it? What's, what's, what's the, what's the real impetus here? Because this seems like it's really amped up just in the last few months, right? Yeah, of course. So um, we started to see earlier this year, a big uptick in um, the number of sort of instances of members of the LGBTQ community being accused of being groomers of, of, sexualizing children, of being pedophiles, all of which was, of course, false. But, um, you know, that's a narrative that has been really, really amped up this year. I think it's really important to acknowledge that it's a narrative that's also been around for a really, really long time. Um, activist Anita Bryant in the 1970s had a whole campaign called Save the Children uh, that was organized in Florida around the first ever anti or the first ever pro-LGBTQ anti-discrimination um, like town ordinance. She organized this whole campaign around the idea that gay people were a threat to children. 
and got the ordinance repealed. So, you know, this is a, a slander that the right wing media has been making against LGBTQ folks for at least 50 years now. Um, but what's changed has just been kind of the volume of the conversation and the extent to which it's been picked up by more, uh, you know, kind of mainstream voices. And then also, you know, I think that there was this feeling among activists that we had kind of like moved past the discussion over, you know, whether it was appropriate for adults to be gay um, and had moved on to conversations around trans people, um, which, you know, I'm not saying is, is better or worse, but for a lot of people, there's a kind of whiplash in a return to um, attacking something that had been seen as a kind of consensus, you know, as in, during the Trump administration, uh, there was this idea in the right wing media that we'd moved on from gay marriage that, you know, that they were really interested in portraying Trump as being less anti-gay than he actually was um, so that he could kind of quietly work on anti-trans measures. So with that background, I think, you know, what's kind of happened has been, there's been this Twitter account called Libs of TikTok. Um, they now have 1.2 million, uh, they now have 1.2 million followers, which is a lot, but beyond that, they're kind of a favorite of the right-wing media. So we've documented how Fox News will often take their content and just run with it. You know, they've kind of acted as a wire service for Fox News. They're also a favorite of Joe Rogan. So, you know, the Joe Rogan podcast has millions and millions of listeners, a much, much bigger audience than anything on Fox News, frankly. And, you know, he's played clips from Libs of TikTok many times and said, I you know, I love these guys. You should follow these guys. Check them out on Twitter. And so they started as a kind of, like, for lack of a better word, cringe compilation um, account where they would post videos of, um, you know, left-wing people, mainly teachers, many of them members of the LGBTQ community, saying things that, you know, that they knew a lot of conservative parents weren't going to agree with and sort of just amplifying that. And this account, as it's grown, has shifted from, um, from that to just really turbocharging this whole idea that LGBTQ people are grooming children and sexualizing children. Um, and that's how they tie into the events from the, this weekend, which I, I assume you'll want to talk about. Um, but I think like one more point of impact to note for libs of TikTok is that, you know, um, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis earlier in the year passed the Don't Say Gay bill, which, um, you know, is a very, very ambiguously worded piece of legislation that makes it illegal to um, basically acknowledge being gay in front of um, school children. And his press people have credited libs of TikTok for quote unquote, opening their eyes to what's happening. Um, and that debate is sort of when this all really, really took off. Yeah. I just want to stay, uh, just want to stay with you uh, for a second here. All right. Just to, just to ask a little bit more about that because of course um, it, it is, it is interesting, right? So lives of TikTok is, you know, a, a Twitter account, right? This is a social media user. This is not a, a news account. Uh, they've been caught lying multiple times. Uh, you know, they, they just got caught lying about uh, this, this, you know, supposed threat, these supposed threats that they've gotten. At least one of these is, you know, obviously not, not real. Um, not that that stops certain right-wing uh, commentators from running with it, but um, so it, I, I think that it's interesting to like look at this and to also look at things like uh, the Daily Wire's uh, Matt Matt Walsh and, and Ben Shapiro, um, where these these uh, right wing media figures that have audiences, even if they are you know just an audience on social media or just an audience, um, you know, with within uh, you know a large a large audience like the Daily Wire has a large audience, but it is a very like cloistered, siloed audience. Um, and then they're like, what they're saying, uh, is then projected out into actual policy. And then that actual policy kind of, it's like, it's like this feedback loop of, of hate and prejudice, which then brings us to the point, uh, that we're at right now where, where pride events are being attacked. But, um, I, I, I guess I'm, I'm, is, is it true 
because again, this is like kind of my perspective looking at it, but is it true that this uh, feedback loop has amped up in the last few weeks? Or do you think that it's just maybe a little more uh, apparent, I guess, to uh, to people who are who are looking on maybe so- somewhat from the outside to kind of see uh, the impact of it? Because right now, uh, you know, it's pride. And so, like, things are just going to be, like, a little bit more uh, amped up kind of naturally because of that. Or, or, or do you think that this is just kind of the snowball effect and that's just where we are because of that, that, that natural uh, acceleration? Unfortunately, I don't think it's just pride. I mean, um, you know, it seemed like the, the groomer rhetoric had previously really peaked in April. It's just kind of really been increasing all year. I think the kind of horrifying um, perspective that, that I've gotten is that Fox News, um, you know, and the Daily Wire and the Matt, Matt Walsh's of the world, I think that they're chasing an audience. And um, Libs of TikTok has kind of revealed that there's this fear among among people that uh, you know who previously might have been more accepting. There's this fear that LGBTQ people are trying to recruit and turn their children. Um, and you know, I think lips of TikTok, uh, Chris Rufo, other right wing actors have really tapped into that fear. And now you see like Fox News realizing that this is a way that they can get eyeballs and kind of catching up. I, you know, I, I don't know that they've particularly shaped this discourse. Um, you did have, you know, there's been this whole panic about drag queen story hours, um, which we can talk about more if you'd like, but Laura Ingraham was really the only Fox news host who was covering that during the Trump administration, but she really, really went in on that and promoted the idea that this was a threat to children. Um, and we've seen a huge, huge resurgence of that this year. Uh, so, you know, I think it's been interesting to see how that's really escalated. Yeah, yeah. So, so let's let's come back to that um, yeah. because I do, I because I do want to move to Idaho and I do want to move to Patriot from because I because uh, I think that I want to get Stephen in here. Um, so, over over the weekend, uh, you know, there was like like I said at the top of the show, like there was this. Um, there was this pride event in Idaho and there were like, so, so first just to set the stage, uh, there were a lot more right wing actors uh, kind of headed towards this event and walking around outside of it and, and screaming and using their megaphones um, to, uh, to kind of make noise and to disrupt the event and Patriot front, uh, which is, uh, you know, a right-wing neo-fascist uh, paramilitary group that Stephen can explain more about. Uh, but they also arrived there, and they were arrested um, with weapons. So, uh, but, but it is important, I think, just to note that before, even before Patriot Front arrived, uh, there was already a large contingent of right-wing, uh, I guess you would maybe call them counter-protesters, except that I don't really think that you would say that pride people were protesting something but but they were they they were there uh to disrupt um and so even even without patriot front this was already a pretty uh ugly scene but uh steven so so thanks for joining us can you kind of walk us through uh what happened over the weekend here and and maybe maybe just before that can you just kind of can you just kind of uh can can you um whoops can you, can you just kind of explain who uh, Patriot Front is? I just, I just re-invited you there. Go ahead. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I'll start with, with Patriot Front. Uh, and thanks for having me. Uh, so Patriot Front is a, a white nationalist group that formed uh, following the deadly Unite the Right rally in 2017. Uh, the organization broke off from uh, the neo-Nazi group uh, Vanguard America. And Patriot Front's founder, uh, Thomas Rousseau, led uh, Vanguard America members during the Unite the Right rally, including James Alex Fields Jr., the, the young man, uh, you know, convicted of murdering an anti-racist protester, uh, Heather Heyer, uh, after driving, you know, his car into a crowd of protesters. Since then, uh, Patriot Front has become one of the most prolific white nationalist propaganda organizations, uh, you know, using stickers, flyers, banners, and other promotional material in cities across the country on hundreds of occasions. Um, this real-world activity, you know, serves multiple purposes to instill fear in communities that they appear in, 
to recruit new members to their cause and, you know, to attempt to inflate the size and influence of the group. Uh, and just, you know, Patriot Front's rhetoric really blends uh, current events with traditional white nationalist slogans and talking points. Uh, its most common slogan is Reclaim America, which is a common white nationalist talking point that essentially calls for the establishment of a white homeland. Uh, and Patriot Front really uses social media, most notably Telegram, to promote its, you know, its, its propaganda and its, also its acts of vandalism. And, you know, I can talk a little bit about the, the trend, the troubling trend that we've seen with the group uh, in recent years, which is going beyond, you know, just the stickering and, and flyering and, and banner campaigns. Um, they've really gone beyond this kind of clandestine proper, propaganda uh, campaigns to doing more kind of in public things uh, in unison, not just doing things, you know, putting stickers on, uh, you know, a, a college campus at night. So the most common thing that they've done uh, is these things that they call flash demonstrations. These are, you know, unannounced demonstrations that happen in big cities like Chicago, DC, Nashville, Philly, that involve, you know, a number of members of, of the group coming together and marching uh, under, under the banner of kind of racist slogans. Uh, beyond that, uh, we've seen uh, really a really troubling trend in the last year or so is Patriot Front taking responsibility for a rash of vandalism incidents in a number of cities, mainly targeting George Floyd murals. Um, again, these, you know, these incidents have happened in, in Brooklyn, Philly, Louisville, New Jersey, and some of them are being investigated as hate crimes. And, and you know, Patriot Front is actually taking responsibility for many of these. And, and if you look at their social media, it's, it's, it's all over their social media in terms of, you know, taking responsibility for these, for these actions. Um, but really the, what we saw in Idaho this weekend is, is another step in that kind of direction in terms of outright confrontation uh, and, and kind of being more, more extreme and more kind of uh, targeting of, of, of different communities, and and what we saw what we saw in Idaho was you know an attempt to to disrupt this event with you know with violence with uh, intimidation etc. Um, so that's you know that's kind of where we're at, we're at right now in terms of the the arc that this this group has gone on. Uh, yeah, but so, in terms of the go ahead no go, no, no no go ahead go ahead I, I, I didn't mean to interrupt I thought you were wrapping up go. Ahead, no, please. you're fine. So just just in terms of like a timeline of events here, um, this really started, uh, you know, obviously Patriot Front is getting a lot of the attention, but the, the targeting of this event started two months before before the events began. The first things that I started seeing were in mid-April, where uh, you have the first thing I saw was the Idaho-based white nationalist Vincent James posting on social media about this Pride event claiming that groomers were going to be gathering on June 11th uh, or June 12th. And he said he listed then for his followers on uh, social media, a, a list of local businesses and nonprofit partners that were, you know, partners for this event, essentially calling, calling those folks out. And within around the same week, you had a group called Panhandle Patriots, which is a, is a biker, a, a paramilitary biker group, um, based in in uh, in North Idaho, whose leader was in D.C. on January 6th. Um, some of its members have traveled to the U.S.-Mexico border to participate in, in you know vigilante actions. They announced that they were having a uh, gun delaying event, which was essentially uh, a march. They were going to march through downtown, fully armed, to quote stand up for Idaho. It didn't specifically mention the pride event, but you know you could you could tell that this was you know directly uh, directly targeting the pride event. Since then, um, you had uh, Panhandle Patriots folks talking publicly, saying that you know we actually intend to go head to head with these people. A line has been drawn in the sands. Um, they're trying to take your children, and it's really just escalated since then. And that that all happened, you know two months to six weeks before the event even started. And that really, you know, started gathering momentum uh, and to the point to what, you know, what Ari has mentioned in terms of all the way to, you know, national, national uh, anti-democracy groups talking about this like libs of TikTok. So, 
you know, a small, a small pride event in, in, in Coeur d'Alene got a ton of attention and it really began kind of two months before, uh, two months before the event started. Got it. And then, and then when, um, when it came to the day, so, so, you know, we know that 31 of them got arrested, but can you explain like exactly how that happened and what was found inside of their truck? Absolutely. So, uh, the the kind of uh, the tactic that that Patriot Front uses for their flash demonstrations it was the exact same as as what they did for for this event, which is they rent U-Haul vans and they they pile as many people into U-Haul vans as they can, and then show up to a location and file out and then begin to march kind of in mass. And that was, you know, the supposed plan for, for, for this. But in addition, it was, you know, we're going to, we're going to get as close to the, as close to the pride event as possible and then go and disrupt it. And so it seems like there was a tip from a uh, member of the public that saw, uh, you know, 31 masked men getting into, uh, getting into a a U-Haul van and, and was concerned and called it into law enforcement and thankfully, law enforcement acted upon that tip. And before uh, Patriot Front was able to kind of get to the actual location, uh, they were, you know, pulled over, uh, taken out of the taken out of the U-Haul, and you know, uh, detained on spot. And you know what what was found in the in the U-Haul was was things that we've seen uh, before with Patriot Front with these flash demonstrations, i.e. Um, weapons which are not not firearms but you know uh sticks things like that P- these folks were also kind of had armor on in terms of like shin pads and other things like that and uh according to uh a court record uh they they also had a very well detailed plan of what they were going to do which involved uh, uh smoke bombs and 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 uh, going and you know deploying smoke bombs close to the event trying to cause chaos uh and then um you know le- and then circling back and 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 uh you know coming back together at some point later after they've they've caused at, at the minimum a disruption to the event and uh one of the documents said that the reason that they were there was quote uh to raise a voice against uh moral depravity which permits events like this to take place. So referencing the, the pride event. Gotcha. Yeah. That's, um, I mean, that certainly seems like they were getting ready for violence, right? Like it certainly seems like they were, they were there to, to try to antagonize it at the very least and, and, and to engage in, in some kind of, you know, uh, violent activity. Definitely. Um, you know, there, there has been a couple of other counter demonstrations that were, that took place. Um, they, those were mainly, uh, involving kind of prayer in some way, though some of the figures that were involved were, are certainly, you know, people with a history of violent rhetoric, et cetera, but that those, those were, you know, those were not, uh, they did not directly engage with, with the, the pride event. The Patriot Front, uh, you know, failed, failed operation certainly seems to me that they were at the minimum coming to cause a disruption, but um, it could have it could have been a lot worse. It could have really escalated. Yeah. Um, So, uh, Ari, so I just wanted to ask, you know, like, you know, hearing this, hearing about, you know, the two months leading up to it, um, you know, the use of social media, the use of these other accounts um, to to kind of amplify these threats. Um, what, what, I mean, what does that kind of tell us about how this stuff is, is operating? Um, you know, I, like, I don't, I, I, I would hesitate maybe to say that it's an intentional, uh, like plot, like, like that these guys are all talking to each other, but it, it doesn't seem, but I don't even think that that really matters. It seems like the, like the net effect of it is that as, um, as these stories kind of like bounce back and forth between all of these different amplification, right-wing amplification media, um, personalities, social media influencers, outlets, um, that it just kind of escalates to this point 
where, you know, real violence and threats uh, can become a reality. Um, is that your read? Um, and, and, and what's your kind of, what, what's, what's your take on that? Do you think that it is kind of coordinated or do you think that, that, uh, that my read is, is, is accurate? I'm, I'm, I'm happy to admit that I might be wrong there, of course. Yeah, I think that the role of the kind of like national media here is more to create a permission structure for the kind of um, organizing that Stephen laid out pretty effectively. So, you know, you, you have people like, <clears throat> I'm sorry, um, you have people like Tucker Carlson on Fox News who, you know, twice this year he's used his show to call for physical violence against LGBTQ people who he says are a threat to children. You know, in one instance he said, that if you have teachers talking about this stuff, like, you know, we need men to go in and thrash the teacher. Um, similarly, Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, who, you know, is out here throwing gasoline on every fire she can find. Um, earlier this year, she was on Alex Jones's show, and they were talking about some camp, camp counselors who um, were transgender. And, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene said something that was like, you know, if if my child had a trans camp counselor, like my husband would beat them into the ground. Um, stuff like that just creates a kind of permission structure for this to happen. So, you know, if you're turning on your TV every day or going on Twitter, going on your forums and you're seeing, you know, your favorite newscaster, your favorite political officials saying, um, really bad things are happening to children and somebody needs to do something about it, uh, you know, that creates the structure where these, these groups are listening. I mean, I think um, a sort of meaningful early parallel is the Pizzagate incident, which, you know, as you know, was kind of a precursor to the whole QAnon conspiracy theory, where, um, you know, someone had been going on the internet and reading all these false rumors about children being sex trafficked in the basement of a Washington DC restaurant. And eventually he showed up with his AR-15 looking to do something about it. Um, you know, I think that everyone who's out there in the media falsely portraying LGBTQ people as threats to children, you know, accusing LGBTQ people baselessly of pedophilia. Um, or for example, there's been a lot, there's been a lot of images going around um, where you know, people are saying these are children at a drag show, like, look what they're being exposed to. And then it'll turn out it's that it's from a, a very, you know, cisgender heterosexual burlesque show from months back. Um, you know, I'm not commenting on the appropriateness of taking your child to that. Like that's, you know, that's for parents to decide. But it's very clear what's being done when somebody is sharing that image and linking it baselessly to LGBTQ people and saying, you know, this is a threat to all of your children. Somebody needs to do something about it. It's not surprising that somebody is doing something about it. Yeah, that's a, I, I want to stay on that idea of, of permission structure. Um, I think that that's really, uh, really interesting, right? Like that, that the, that the right wing media does provide uh, that ability for for violence and 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 that it and and also right-wing politicians like you're saying right but but that these uh i guess quote-unquote like authority figures uh are allowing um and are giving kind of the tacit permission uh for this by by kind of normalizing the idea that violence is the only logical response um can you kind of can, can we talk a little bit more about that can, can you kind of give a little like some more examples of how that manifests itself a little bit, Ari, and then we'll go to you, Stephen, because I'd be interested to hear uh, your take on that as well. I mean, if you really want to get back into the history of this, I think the like first kind of um, historical example of this phenomenon was um, King Henry II of England uh, back in the 1100s, who said, um, you know, will nobody rid me of this meddlesome priest? It was a, a very... Um, you know, it's kind of like a popularized historical narrative. And as a result of the king just making this, you know, what could be an offhanded remark, um, four knights traveled to the location of this priest and murdered him. Um, you know, so this is like, everyone who's involved in this knows exactly what they're doing. Um, 
nobody is living under the illusion that if they go on their cable news show every night and tell 5 million people that horrible things are being done to children by LGBTQ people, that there's no chance that any of them might take that seriously and act. Um, you know, I think it's, it's comparable to, uh, and a lot of the groups are frankly the same, it's comparable to January 6th, right? Where, you know, you see President Trump over and over again being like, this election is, this election was stolen, these, these results were phony, obviously, you know, he was lying, um, but then saying like, you know, we're not going to take back our country with weakness. Um, we're seeing the same tactics applied to the LGBTQ community. And, you know, I think we're starting to see similar results. Yeah, definitely. And um, Stephen, how are you? I would assume that you agree that you're seeing this as well. Um, how, how does that kind of factor into these extremist groups that you that you watch, you know, when they have someone like, you know, like Tucker Carlson, who I know that uh, a lot of these groups, you know, are, are a really big fan of um, someone in the mainstream who is, as Ari is saying, kind of walking up the line, not not really saying it, but everybody kind of knows like what he's saying. Um, how much does that stuff kind of itself uh, in in their kind of internal chats and the way that they talk to each other? How, how much does that permission structure work for them? I mean, from what I see, um, these folks are absolutely delighted when uh, essentially their talking points are something very close to what they their talking points uh, are. Make it on Fox News, make it, uh, you know, up to that level in terms of, uh, you know, uh, an audience. And it's it's the same thing with elected officials. Elected officials have a platform uh, and law enforcement as well uh, that you know, the average person doesn't have. And, and, you know, it's, it's on elected officials, government officials, uh, media to, you know, to actually use that platform in, in an appropriate way. Uh, you know, we, we, we know that uh, hate speech can lead to hate violence. Um, rhetoric is not cost free. And um, there are certainly, you know, when, when you have, people with such large audiences and such large platforms spewing this, um, you know, the, uh, at the minimum, the, the, uh, the propensity for, for, uh, hate violence increases. And just, just a couple of things I wanted to note one, uh, in the buildup to the, the event, um, this past weekend, Heather Scott, who is an Idaho, Idaho elected official who is very closely tied to a number of anti-democracy groups in the state, posted on Facebook about um, about the event and, you know, listed a whole list of people uh, who were going to be participating, you know, mentioned the Satanists, the Idaho State Police, anti-gun groups. And then, and then she said, and I'm sure a lot of sex offenders and pedophiles will, uh, will be in Coeur d'Alene this weekend. And that, again, that, that's an elected official, you know, making a, just a blanket uh, accusation um, that, you know, that, that pedophiles and, and sex offenders are going to be showing up to, to this event. And, and, you know, she has a, she has a big platform. Uh, people uh, in the, certainly in anti-democracy circles in, in Idaho and in the whole region really, um, you know, follow her. She is a you know, a, a key voice in that in that world, and and for her to to put something like that um, out on her social media channels is is really problematic. Um, and really, you know, we're in a space where we need uh, we need elected officials, leaders, law enforcement to be you know standing out and 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 really denouncing this. And I think uh, I was really heartened to see. Uh, a quote from the Coeur d'Alene mayor uh, just after the event where he said, we are not a city that wants to discriminate. We're not going back to the days of the Aryan nations. We're a culture of love and kindness, and we will continue to be. And that's, you know, that's the kind of thing that we need to be hearing from, especially from elected officials, uh, you know, in the buildup to and in the aftermath of, of, of events like this, that, um, you know, uh, that's the kind of rhetoric we need to be hearing, not uh, baseless conspiracy theories that, you know, can result in, in what Ari's been talking about in terms of targeting and, and potentially hate violence. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, 
just to go back to you, all right, uh, just for a sec, um, one thing that you said that I thought was very, very interesting was the idea of how how a lot of these figures are using it to gain and hold an audience. Um, and, and I've noticed that as well, uh, too, you know, not, not only with um, the more extreme right-wing uh, voices, but also with, you know, kind of nominal or at least like former kind of liberal and left voices who have embraced this kind of rhetoric. Um, and I, I guess I'm curious, like when, when you look at not only um, people on the right, but also uh, people like that, how much of this do you think is really serious and real and based in their real belief? And how much is just a cynical attempt at kind of amplifying their own audience and their own voice uh, at the expense of this community? Um, like, I, I, I guess, how many of them are true believers and how many of them are just, uh, you know, cynically taking advantage of it? That's a really good question. I think probably one that's also kind of unanswerable. Um, you know, personally, like, I'm always a little, um, I guess for lack of a better word, curious when you see a lot of these kind of, you know, specifically male pundits who just like will not shut up about trans people, right? Like as a trans woman, anytime you get a guy who just like is just obsessed with talking about trans people who's built, a, you know, like an entire career really talking about trans people, it's like, what is going on, dude? Like, you know, like, like, Clearly, you know, I, I think that there are some people in this space who have some stuff to work through, right? Um, but we can't just make that assumption. Um, I think, like, the, you know, it, it doesn't particularly matter um, what somebody's, like, real belief is versus what they're doing. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, I think we're in a place where, um, as a society, where, you know, as trans people specifically... Um, gain more acceptance. Uh, the general public really, really overestimates how common it is for people to be trans. So, you know, there, there was a study uh, that came out a little while back that kind of like asked people to estimate what percentage of people were trans. And they came up with 20%, which is just like an order of magnitude higher um, than what it is. So, you know, I think this is a topic that's in the news a lot. And as a result, uh, you get some people who, you know, they've realized that they can get clicks by talking about this, by fear-mongering about this, by raising concerns about this. So, you know, I think, like, whether this is people in search of an audience, whether this is people working through their own shit, um, whether this is people who are just straight-up old-fashioned bigots, um, it doesn't really matter because they're all having the same kind of impact, which is to create a world that is much more dangerous for LGBTQ people to publicly be who we are. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's the, like, look, I think that we're probably talking at least about one of the same people here, but, like, where you're just kind of like, what's the deal? Um, but uh, I, I think, I, I guess what I'm trying to get at here is that I, I feel like there is a certain cynicism um, to how this stuff is being deployed, um, and it doesn't seem that people are particularly caring about who gets hurt and and what happens as long as their platforms uh, increase and, 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 as, and as long as their voices continue to be amplified. But I guess you're right. I mean, I guess it is kind of unknowable. Um, I think I, I, maybe the best way to, to, to address it is to just kind of uh, go, with, go with what, you know, in your gut seems right. Um, but, yeah, it, 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 is, it is interesting and unfortunate that people have been able to build careers uh, off of this stuff in the way that they have been able to do it. Um, so Stephen, uh, you know, you were talking when you were talking about the Idaho, uh, the, the Idaho politician there, uh, whose, whose name is escaping me, but, um, who, who made those comments, you know, you were talking about like all of the people within the region. Um, and one thing I noticed with the Patriot front arrests is that people were, people who were arrested were from, all over uh, the uh, all over the Northwest, uh, you know, pe people from Washington, people from Idaho, uh, people from Montana. Um, 
uh, I mean, that's a pretty long way to travel for something like this. Uh, how extensive is that network? Because it seems like it's certainly more than just Idaho, right? Uh, the, this this Patriot Front uh, network, uh, they kind of all came together uh, for this event. Yeah, so a couple of things uh, there. Um, just first, this was not the first example of, of Patriot Front activity in, in Coeur d'Alene uh, or Spokane in, in recent years. Uh, just earlier this year, I think it was January, uh, Patriot Front displayed a banner. I think it was over an overpass in in um, in Coeur d'Alene that, that read uh, for the nation against the state. Last year, uh, North Idaho College, which is in Coeur d'Alene, uh, was uh, Patriot Front members kind of put stickers and, and uh, promotional materials around the, the campus. And then if you go back to 2020, um, you know, Patriot Front materials like that, what I just said, like stickers and stencils and things like that were, were placed around the city dozens of times. So just to say that, um, you know, this was certainly not the first example of, of Patriot Front's um, kind of activity in, in Coeur d'Alene, uh, you know, ahead of, ahead of this event. But in terms of folks coming from, from around the region, I think this tells us a, a number of things. The first is uh, Patriot Front members, like many other uh, white nationalists and anti-democracy groups are willing to, to cross state lines to engage in violence. Uh, the Pacific Northwest more broadly continues to be plagued by outside agitators coming to the region. Uh, you know, the, the best example I can give you of that is is Proud Boys rallies in Portland, where, um, you know, if you look at the, the folks who attended that, you have people coming from, you know, from Texas, from California, from from all over the place descending upon Portland's, uh, you know, to engage to engage in violence and and. What that tells me, too, is that federal resources and other avenues of support are crucial for municipalities in, in this region and beyond to deal with this. Um, you know, especially, you know, folks are if folks are flying in from all over the place to, to engage in this, um, you know, Coeur d'Alene, Portland, a, a bunch of other places need support because these folks are willing to travel to engage in this. Um, and just lastly, in terms of uh, I, I did some geography. And it seemed to me, based on the 31 people arrested, only one is actually, you know, living in, in the in the area. The closest person aside from that is like a two-hour drive. And then the rest of them, as you said, they're coming from, you know, north of Seattle, from a lot of folks from Utah. Uh, yeah, so there, there's people, you know, traveling hours and hours and hours to participate in, in this. And it tells me that this 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 is an example for me of of Patriot Front's kind of inflated numbers and inflated um, the perception that they're they're trying to give that you know they're everywhere we have you know we have Patriot members in in every city on every college campus blah 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 um, if they you know if they were only they they were they pulled thirty one people to participate in this and and they a lot of almost all of them. 99% of them essentially had to travel long distances to participate. So it, it tells me in some ways that their their numbers are, are not anywhere near as big as, as what they're trying to portray. But they're still able to activate themselves uh, to get out there, right? So that, I mean, like that does, that does it tell you something as well. Definitely. Um, I mean, it tells me that these folks are committed. I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, that's a, that's a long way to drive uh, eight, 10, 12 hours or getting on a plane to participate in something like this. So it definitely tells me these folks are committed and, you know, their social media is full of uh, these folks engaging not only in, you know, these, these, these flyer and sticker and banner campaigns, but doing things like hand-to-hand uh, -hand combat training uh, together. They have, uh, regional meetups where they they engage in this type of activity so yeah i mean it certainly tells me that uh the folks who are involved are are committed and and you know are willing to engage in this type of activity yeah definitely definitely um shifting a bit here uh ari i i know that you were um i i think that uh you have a uh you have a piece at 
or 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 you shared a piece uh, from Media Matters that came out today uh, that about uh, Florida GOP officials' attack on on trans medical care and mainstream. Uh, I'll just read the whole title instead of mangling it here. Mainstream print and blog outlets are failing to fact check misinformation wielded by Florida GOP officials in attack on trans medical care. You know, we've been talking a lot about. Uh, right-wing figures and how they are amping up these attacks and how they are contributing uh, to this violence. But I think that there's also uh, something to talk about a little bit here um, as as we kind of get near the end of the show here uh, about how more mainstream media is kind of failing to meet this moment. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and, and, and talk specifically maybe about how uh, – how with with what we're seeing with them dropping the ball specifically in this Florida case can kind of be extrapolated out to to, to look at the way that it's being covered nationally. Yeah, um, I mean, I think that really gets to how it's it's great how much media attention there suddenly seems to be for this issue now that um, there have been some more kind of like organized violent incidents, but um, you know. Trans people have been living through an assault on our ability to kind of like live open, comfortable lives in this country for quite a while now. Um, last year, for example, um, was the deadliest year on record for trans people in the United States. And obviously that has a lot of, of caveats. A lot of times when a trans person is murdered, um, you know, their name is misreported or um, it's just not picked up. Uh, you know, it's it's hard to accurately report on violence against marginalized populations. But, you know, as we saw violence against the trans community increase um, last year, the amount of uh, mainstream cable, uh, cable and broadcast news coverage of that anti-trans violence decreased pretty substantially. Um, so, you know, I think... This is this has been a challenging topic for the mainstream media to cover um, because for them to do so kind of requires them to just acknowledge that trans people exist, which is like a weirdly controversial topic in the American media right now. So I'm really glad you wanted to talk about Florida because I think that's really instrumental of the flip side of this. So, you know, there's a lot of attention given to violent incidents incidents against LGBTQ people, at least when those incidents are organized. Um, but the Republican Party, you know, specifically the, the Trump people, the DeSantis people, are really trying to put the squeeze on the trans community from the other direction, too. So, you know, you get on one hand, like, well, if you're living this life, um, you're gonna, you might be targeted for right-wing violence. And then they're kind of trying to come in on the other side and being like, well, you know, like, look, maybe being trans doesn't make you that happy anyway, um, which, like, doesn't really matter if that makes sense. You know what I mean? So, like, the Florida Florida Republican Party, the, not the Florida Republican Party, but um, DeSantis's administration um, kind of hired their own experts to take a look at the science that's out there on gender-affirming care for trans people, including hormone therapy. Um, and, you know, they put out a bunch of pieces, all of which came out within 24 hours of each other, none of which were peer reviewed that were like, hey, actually, this this treatment is experimental and um, not that effective and should not and should therefore not be legal for minors in the state of Florida and not be covered under Medicaid. Um, you know, that doesn't line up with what the more mainstream science shows, the peer-reviewed science that's out there. But the way that the mainstream media covers that kind of instance is that they'll say, oh, well, you know, Florida, Florida officials say X about trans health care, while advocates say Y, instead of saying, you know, this is the scientific consensus and Florida officials are going against it. Um, and so, you know, the mainstream media is just not covering this for what it is, which is just kind of like a naked attack on trans people's ability to just exist in the state of Florida. And, you know, DeSantis has national ambitions. So I think it's really, really important to look at what he's doing to understand, you know, the broader right-wing war against pride, as you've called it, and where we could be going next. 
Yeah, and I think that it, it, just to kind of jump off of that, I, I think that it's important to 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 note that like it's one thing to say, look, uh, this is the scientific consensus. Uh, this is what experts say. Um, like th- th- this is what the overwhelming evidence is. Um, uh, this administration is saying something that's counter to that. But here's what they say, right? So that's like reporting. And I think that there, but, but there is a difference in saying that and saying the way that you that 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 you are saying saying that they're saying it, which is to say, well, some people say this and some people say that. Like, like there is a difference there because in the, in one case you're saying, here are the facts, here's the consensus, um, and and here's what you know this uh, this group of people are saying that is against that consensus, um, and the and the other way of saying it is to kind of both sides it and act like they're both. Uh, of of have equal weight or equal legitimacy, right? And so I think that that is an interest. Like it, it's not an interesting thing. It's 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 an ex- expression of the kind of bullshit uh, that they that they like to deploy uh, because uh, that's just basically like uh, this this kind of both sides thing that we've seen on a lot of issues, right? This isn't just uh, 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 trans medical care uh, or or LGBTQ plus rights or anything like that. Like this, you know, we see this. Um, we see this behavior in in uh, on a lot of other topics. Um, would 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 you say that's a fair kind of interpretation of of, of what you're saying? Yeah, and I think um, to link it back to the you know the broader topic that we've been discussing, um, that kind of formulation puts us in a really dangerous place right now when you have these violent incidents because we can't even you know have them really covered in the media without having to deal with people being like, well, you know, were these queers asking for it? Um, And that makes it really hard to get a consensus and, um, you know, call these things what they are, which is violent hate. Right, right. Um, And, and, yeah, I think that that's, that should just be really the baseline. Um, You know, we we have about uh, ten minutes left here, uh, so I wanted to just pivot just with the time that we have left and um, kind of ask about what kind of solutions uh, there are to this, uh, if any. You know, not not only I think Ariel asked you about media, and Stephen, I'll ask you about this kind of ongoing radicalization of these groups. Um, but yeah, so I'll start with 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 Ari. I mean, um, what kind of change do you think would be helpful to see not only in how this is covered in the mainstream because i think we talked about that a little bit but also uh, you know as far as these uh right-wing conservative media figures amping this stuff up uh what what kind of a solution or a way to address it uh is there if if one even exists or or is it just you know a, a a matter of just continuing to push back or is there another solution that that i'm not landing on here I mean, I think that social media networks um, really need to actually enforce their terms of service. You know, it is not like you're not allowed to use Twitter to incite violence against people. That should be pretty clear. Um, And, you know, I think that it seems like Twitter safety is in this kind of weird position where um, they don't want to take any action, in part because of the acquisition by Elon Musk. Um, There was some, some leaked... Uh, internal conversations from Twitter where they were discussing one of my tweets about libs of TikTok and whether or not um, the that account should be banned from Twitter. And, you know, libs of TikTok had actually promoted this, and I think they made a much bigger deal of it than it is because it seemed like it had been leaked from the, like, water cooler Slack channel, which I thought was pretty funny. And also it was, like, so blurry and pixelated that, you know, it's I'm a little skeptical. But... Either way, social media networks need to enforce their terms of service, including against LGBTQ people. Um, You know, I think, like, we need to stop treating living LGBTQ people like we're a debate, right? Like, we exist. Um, You know, it doesn't really matter how people feel about that. Like, we just do. Um, I think networks like Fox News need to really, really turn down the heat. Um, You know, they're helping create a really dangerous environment. I can't imagine that their shareholders or advertisers are happy about that. But, you know, if they are, like, that's something that also needs to be highlighted. And then I think finally, um, 
on sort of broader media coverage of, of trans communities, uh, it seems like it's easy to get them sucked into this argument that the right wing wants to have over, you know, how effective are treatments and what are regret rates like and, and stuff like that. But I think that all of this needs to start from a place of, you know, that's not the government's decision to make, right? Like we let people in this country select medical treatments um, based on their knowledge of the trade-offs. So it's just not the proper role of the government to say whether or not a particular invention um, intervention is effective. I obviously would argue that they are. Um, but, you know, I think we need to take it back to this place of allowing adults to make the choices that they want to make. Excellent. Uh, thank you so much for that. I think that that's a very concise um, uh, critique. Uh, Stephen, uh, you know, talking about these extremist groups uh, in the Northwest, you know, Patriot Front and others, um, what are you kind of hoping to see? Uh, I mean, I think you talked about a little bit, you know, trying to see like better rhetoric coming out of, of lawmakers and, and public figures. But um, what, what what are you kind of hoping to see as far as uh, turning down the heat, I guess, uh, to, to borrow Ari's phrase there, on on the radicalization uh, of, of these groups and, and of people? I mean, you know, you were talking about how Patriot Front has... Uh, made themselves kind of seem bigger than they are. Um, but uh, that that is itself kind of a, a pretty effective recruiting tool that needs to be pushed back on. What, what, do, you, what do you think the, the, the way, the best way to do that is? So I, I think there's a couple of things. Um, you know, one is really, uh, you know, closing the space for white nationalists and paramilitary groups to uh, cause harm in communities. You know, a lot of this is not happening necessarily in the biggest cities in this country. It's happening at, at the local level and, and white nationalists and anti-democracy groups are very open about that. It's like, hey, think, you know, think local, act local. And, and that's been, you know, a major um uh, tactic of, of these groups and, and especially post January 6th is to, is to really, you know, embed themselves, embed themselves locally. So again, to respond to that, I think, you know, again, the closing of, of uh, space for these folks to cause harm by that, I mean, we need leaders kind of across every sector of civil society to continue to make clear that they're committed to defending inclusive democracy. And I think really this this weekend was a was a good model. Um, I think what's getting lost a little bit in in, in the in the media narrative is the North Idaho Pride Alliance uh, has worked hard to you know keep its events safe and positive for the whole community. Uh, the Pride in the Park was the largest ever uh, Pride event in in North Idaho, despite these difficult conditions. Uh, NEPA worked closely with local government, law enforcement, and a broad, you know, civil society co coalition to ensure that this event was a success. Um, and, you know, this really is exactly how communities uh, should uh, resist invasions by white nationalists and anti-democracy groups, to their cities and towns. Um, the inland Northwest communities resisted threats and intimidation by movements of organized hate in the past. Um, and they did it leading up to this weekend they've done it for decades and and really north idaho isn't just a victim of violent hate and extremism i think it's a model for how communities uh can respond going forward excellent excellent well uh thank you ari and and thank you Stephen, for a, a great conversation here about a difficult topic but I, re I really appreciate you both coming on and and talking with us and and offering your expertise and your perspectives. Um, it, so just to do some some wrap-ups here, uh, where can people find both you, Ari? Uh, where can people find you and your work? Um, unfortunately, I'm always on Twitter, so it's easy to find me there. Uh, my username is Ari Drennan, just like here. Um, and you can find my work at mediamatters.org slash WLGB. Oh, wow. <laughs> Um, mediamatters.org slash LGBTQ. And Stephen, where can people find you and your work in the uh, Western states? 
Sure. Uh, I'm, I'm also on Twitter quite a bit. Uh, you can find me at, that's my full name. So at Stephen Piggott one. So S T E P H E N P I G G O T T and the number one and, uh, to access, uh, Western state center and, and a bunch of tools that we have for folks for communities to respond to hate. Um, you can go to westernstatescenter.org. Excellent. Um, so, yeah, so thanks to both you again. Um, and for you, listener, if you're listening uh, live or on replay uh, on the app, please be sure to subscribe and follow to the show so that you can update it and get notifications whenever we go live, which is about twice a week. Uh, if you're following along on Spotify or syndication uh, on Apple, uh, please be sure to write and follow us there as well. And consider getting the app so that you can uh, participate live. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. Uh, thanks for joining us. And we will see you next week. All right. Bye.